This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the price of food in Canada is finally going down. Sylvain Charlebois, a researcher and professor in food distribution and food policy at Dalhousie in Halifax, bringing us that good news. Plus, could you save money by ordering out or ordering in instead of going to the grocery store? And Game Showy is back as we play some trivia. Test your knowledge of classic cars with us. And also, will cats and dogs ever get along? Animal behavioral expert Zazie Todd, PhD, helps us understand how our companions interact with each other. She also gives us amazing insight into what really goes on in their brains. I'm Bruce Claggett. This is the Shift Podcast. Yes, it is time for Game Showy. It's time for your host, Ryan O'Donnell. Ah, oh, well, thanks, Bobby. It's time for the best, completely original, never copied, completely our own idea trivia showdown. Oh, this is my favorite time of the week, friends. And I have a very special theme of our trivia game, but it comes from some rather sad news. Dodge, like the car manufacturer, announced that it is discontinuing the Challenger and Charger muscle cars next year. The golden age of muscle cars seems to be coming to an end as we transition to electric vehicles. So we have to celebrate these incredible vehicles and other cars like it. So that is our theme for today's game showy. Now, if you're new to this and you don't know how it works, let me explain it to you. Looking at you, Bruce. The rules are incredibly simple. You're going to pick a category and a difficulty of your question. One being easy, three being difficult. Mm. Now, our categories are uh, just going to come up. But first, I'll let you know, if you get the answer correct, you will hear this sound. Oh, yay. Happy, happy. Uh, But if it is wrong, you will hear this. Your uh, opponent, by the way has five seconds to steal the answer from you if they can get it right, if you get it wrong. Now, the categories for the uh, showdown today are Dodge, specifically questions about Dodge vehicles. Mm-hmm. And we've got North American Muscle as your second category. And the third category is Cars for Every Canadian. Now... We also have something called the text line special, which is a question only for the listeners, and it's worth one extra point. It is hidden somewhere within the show. So randomly, let's say, Bruce, you decide, hey, I would like Dodge for three. We're playing for speeding tickets today, by the way. So Dodge (laughs) for three speeding tickets. Surprise, surprise. That's the text line special. It could be worth four points. You'll hear that sound now. The key here is, Bruce, you will not be able to answer that question. It is up to the texters to get it right. So you are completely in their hands. So, my friends, if you are able to text, get your phones ready. The number is 877-399-9898. I'm going to read the question for you now. Text in your answers now so that we can uh, get the text line special down the road. I don't know if I'm nervous or excited, but my palms just got really cold. I think that's a good sign. That's great. Kind oh, okay. Like your white knuckle driving. I'll go with that. Okay. So here is the text line special question. 
The Dodge Challenger is a bit of a movie star. What is its most famous appearance in movies? A hint, the driver's name was Kowalski. Is it Bullet, Transformers, Vanishing Point, or Smokey in the, and the Bandit? Ooh. Reminder of the number, 877-399-9898. And the question, one more time, the Challenger, Dodge Challenger is a movie star. What is its biggest appearance in film? Is it Transformers, Bullet, Vanishing Point, or Smokey in the Bandit? Text Ooh. in your answers now, and you could be the deciding factor in this game of trivia. And I can tell you this does work because last time on Game Showy, we had the winning, I can't I believe Ben won by getting the text line special and getting the extra wow. point. Ben so, O'Hara Burn, yeah. Ben O'Hara Burn. So it this is, is big. So, uh, Bruce, it is your first time playing Game Showy, so I'm going to let you pick a reminder. Yep. The categories are Dodge, North American Muscle Cars, and Cars for Every Canadian. Oh, Where I'm going, going to go with the the manly thing and go for North American muscle car and um, two tickets. tickets. Two tickets. You got it. Nice and easy. Okay. Here's your question. For two speeding tickets, Bruce, what is the most produced muscle car ever? I'm not talking lifetime run. I mean in a single year. Okay. Here are your options. The 1971 AMC Javelin, 1970 Plymouth Barracuda, the 1970 Dodge Challenger, or the 1966 Ford Mustang? Yeah, wow, some good cars in there, too. Um, I'm going to do this based on what car I really like. And uh, my sister had a 66 uh, Mustang. Um, and that was like, a, I think that may have been, well, 65 and a half was their first production year yep. or something like that. I'm yep. going to go with Mustang. That is correct, Amundo. Yes. Two speedy yes. tickets have been issued on your license. Very nice. It's been said that the Camaro from Chevrolet was only built so that it could beat the Mustang. And yet, uh, it's only done that four times throughout all of history. The Mustang is and probably will forever be the best-selling muscle car in the world. So two speeding tickets for Bruce. Brendan Kelly, where are we going? Uh, let's go with uh, cars for every Canadian for two tickets. So I can tie it up for here. Two, 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 two tickets. Uh, let's do this one. Uh, which of these vehicles or vehicle is made, or I guess, are, yeah, vehicles are made in Canada, okay? So what car is manufactured here in Canada at one of our plants here? Is it the, uh, and these are current vehicles. I won't say this is in the past. This is being manufactured right now. Is it the Chevrolet Equinox, the Chrysler 300, the Dodge Challenger, the Lexus RX, or all of the above? It is all of the above. Despite the fact that Lexus is on there, that is correct. Yes, all of those wow. cars are indeed manufactured in Canada. Fun fact, the Ford GT, Ford's supercar, is manufactured at a specialty plant in Markham, Ontario. And if you want to know if your car was made in Canada, the VIN starting with the number two, if it has a two, that tells you that it was made in Canada. Wow, I didn't know that. There you go. Oh. There you go. The more you know. 
The yeah. more the game showy education. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Clagett, we got a tie game, my friend. Okay. Where are we going? Uh, let's see. Well, the only category that we haven't had a chance, Brendan and I, with, uh, let's try dodge. Um, and let's go for, I'm feeling more confident. I'm uh, I'm bordering on feeling a little cocky, Uh-oh. I might say. Oh, no. Oh, um, no. I'm going to go okay. for, <laughs> it's going to bite me. I'm going to go for the uh, three tickets. Okay. Three wow. tickets. Big, big All right. Dodge does not just make muscle cars and SUVs and minivans. Uh, they also make some pretty spectacular cars, uh, you know, uh, often people who buy muscle cars like the Challenger, you know, they said that they buy it for a midlife crisis. Well, you know, they also manufactured a car for having a midlife crisis that was more designed for being a supercar than a muscle car. And it was called the Dodge Viper, a legendary piece of machinery up to a, a V10 engine. It was ridiculous. Gas mileage. Who cares? All about the speed. But the Dodge Viper, despite being a bit of a cult classic and actually selling pretty decently for a car of its type, was discontinued. My question to you, Bruce, when was it last manufactured? Hmm. When was it canceled? 2008, 2014, 2017, or 2020? Oh, that's going to be tough. Um, I think there was a TV show that actually featured it. May may even have been called Viper. Um, but that it wasn't was the Viper question. No, that yeah. would have been easier. Um, could I have those years again one more time? 2008, 2014, 2017, or 2020? 2017. 2017 is. Ooh, it's correct. Yes. Total guess. Total guess. He comes in and he's like, I don't know anything. I can't do it. Oh, wow. He's got like a massive lead. 2017, it's interesting. The vehicle was canceled. The reason why they stopped producing it, despite it making 600 horsepower being beautiful, was because Dodge could not meet safety standards that were going to go into an effect in September of 2017. So they were like, eh. Let's just stop making it. Although they did technically sell three of them last in 2020. <laughs> so Dodge don't, don't Dodge doesn't care. Clearly, I just love the idea of 600 car. horsepower. That's uh, yeah. that's a good commuter car. Yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful machine. I love those things. Yeah. All right. Well, Brendan, you're down three. There is uh, one more th- uh, ticket uh, question worth three, but uh, there's also the text line special hidden somewhere in the show. So there's plenty of opportunity for you to come back. Where are we going? Uh, I'll go with the other uh, remaining three then to keep it try to keep it tied here. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, North American muscle cars for All three. right, this is a tough one. Yeah. What was the very first muscle car ever made? The very first one. What was it the 1949 Oldsmobile Rocket 88? The 1964 Pontiac GTO? The 1955 Chrysler C300? Or the 1957 Rambler Rebel? Uh, well, if I'm to go merely by the years, wouldn't the oldest one be that 1949? Mm-hmm. But one? were muscle cars a thing in 1949? 1949. That's the, no. um, let's see. Is that helping, Ryan? Are you helping him? Are you <laughs> yeah. giving him hints? <laughs> 
Uh, I, I I'm just, not helping him. It, I'm teasing. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll say yeah, I'll go with the 1949. It was post World War II, and America was all mm-hmm. muscly and ready to <laughs> ready to rumble. So yeah, we'll go with the 1949 Oldsmobile, and it's called a rocket too. That's just the Rocket super, 88. Yeah, super American. Uh, yeah. Now, okay. Final answer. I will say that this is a disputed fact, although. Oh. I I I'm gonna go with the people who argue that it is indeed the Oldsmobile Rocket 88. That is correct, and that's because it was the first time a V8 engine was just absolutely <laughs> stuffed into a small light car. Well, light for the time is the 40s. So, so how many points does Brendan get for this disputed fact oh. that you've just given him the nice bail I didn't for? Give him, jeez, you you guys you're taking on. Wow. <laughs> Is Shane is Shane Hewitt in your ear there? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, totally. <laughs> enough people say it, maybe it's true. Yeah, there and a lot of people actually texted in getting it correct. And also, trucker Kevin sent in a picture of his Mustang. God, that's gorgeous. Wow. 1966 with the white convertible top. Oh, delightful. Please send in the pictures of your cars. It has nothing to do with game show. I just like looking at cars. Moving on, Bruce, it's still a tie game. You're not losing or anything, so yeah. this this is anybody's game. Where are we going next? I'll remind, uh, if you just joined us, uh, we are playing game showy trivia. The three categories of questions are Dodge, North American Muscle Cars, and Cars for Every Canadian. Where are we going, Bruce? Oh, where's the score now? It is tied at five speeding tickets each. Okay, five each. Um... I'll go for uh, cars for every Canadian for two, Ryan. For dose. Okay. What is the most, uh, this is according to a survey that I found, okay, for DW, who conducted an international survey of every country on earth and what the most beloved car brand is for each country. So the question, Bruce, what is the most beloved car brand in Canada? Is it Toyota? Hyundai or Hyundai, Ford or Chrysler? Oh, yeah, I would have thought it was um, going to be Honda, but um, that's not on the list. It's not on the list. I like my little accent. I'm going to go with uh, Hyundai. Hyundai is incorrect. Brendan, you got five seconds to steal. I will go with uh, Toyota. Toyota is also incorrect. Okay, so and for both of you, I will tell you the most beloved car. And fun fact, we are the only country in the world that picks Chrysler as our favorite, most beloved car brand. Wow. And I'll add a little, which surprised me, but the Chrysler's got a pretty good reputation. Do they throw uh, Jeeps in there? Because if they do, I can kind of see that. But Yeah, well, Jeep, I love the Jeep Gladiator, that pickup yeah. hybrid. I love mm-hmm. that thing. Uh, but I've got a bonus question that I'm actually going to answer. This is just more of a joke. Uh, what is the most hated car brand in Canada? Your options are Ford, 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 or <sighs> Ford. <laughs> it is That's Ford. a tough I one. Should, it is yeah. Ford, I should say. Something yes. about being discovered on a pathway without life or something? Uh, yeah, found on the side of the road dead. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fix or repair daily. Yeah. Yes, fix or repair daily. And look at all the jokes. Even though they, they sell unbelievably well. But, you know, of course, it's just 
it's kind of fun to hate on them, even though they make great cars. Uh, okay, so uh, Bruce, incorrect. Brendan was not able to get the steal, so we're actually at the same place they were. So, Brendan, wow, you could jump ahead here. Game. It is your turn to pick a yeah. question. I'll go with uh, Dodge for two tickets. <gasps> Uh-oh. We have the text line special, my friends. You found it, Brendan. Hidden Ooh. within the two tickets question of Dodge. I will remind you, this was a question that I posed to the listeners and the listeners alone. The question was, the Dodge Challenger is a bit of a movie star. What's the most famous appearance of that vehicle? The options were Smokey and the Bandit, Vanishing Point, Bullet, or Transformers. I got an enormous amount of texts. In fact, actually more than last week. Wow, look at that. Uh, yeah. Which is amazing. <laughs> and uh, we've got some. We've got a couple of answers. So we got some uh well i actually will add this one that uh i'm, I'm not there's no name attached but mentions uh death proof with kurt russell which features oh, yeah. the vehicle from vanishing point and with the, an overwhelming amount of people texting in vanishing point that is the picked answer by the listeners and that is the correct answer so brendan <sighs> you actually thanks, thanks to the listeners, listeners you actually get three the fix points. is in yeah. For that, I, the I'm listeners are in on the collusion this week. Yeah, look, <laughs> you can't blame that on me. The listeners answered it. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's all okay, smoke thanks, and mirrors, guys. I think. Hey, yeah, hey okay. Bruce. Yeah, you, we still have time here. There's still two ticket questions. I know. I know. Steals. I, I'm just. Uh, I'm and... whining a bit. I'm. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Okay. I'm. I'm going to level up here. Okay. So where are we going? Uh, Brendan gets the answer correct. Well, the listeners do. So where are we going next? Where would you like to go? Uh, let's, uh, let's go back to the North American muscle cars and, um, I'm going all in three tickets. We're actually out oh, of three ticket questions. Okay. I'm going all in going question. for two tickets. <laughs> We're actually okay, out of two one. tickets first. You're going to, this is another movie question. Okay. In the fast and furious franchise, Dom Toretto, Vin Diesel's character, has a family car, you know, family, uh, that he drives with passion for, you know, family. What car does he drive? If you don't remember, I'll give you a mental picture. It is a black muscle car, okay? Black old school muscle car. Which of these vehicles is the correct car? Okay. Is it a 1970 Dodge Charger, a 1970 Dodge Challenger, a 1970 Mustang, or a 1970 Pontiac GTO? I'll go with the G, uh, the GTO. The GTO is incorrect. Oh, incorrect. Oof, Kate, Brendan, you got five seconds to steal. Nope, <laughs> <It's> wrong button. <laughs> that was my fault. That was his fault. I did not play that's that. That's the button I want. I'll yeah, go. that's uh, the button you want. Yeah. Already ready to go. Yeah, charger. Okay. Let's go with the charger. The charger, the, <laughs> the charger is correct. Yes, well, of course it, it is. Yes. Seventy Dodge Charger. Uh, it's actually funny enough. It's rumored it was really a 1968 Charger that they just put on a bunch of parts to fool people into thinking it was a 70. But it is a Dodge Charger with a big giant honking well, engine. Here's what I'll say about discontinuing the Charger. Well, it would be an amazing name for an electric car. I know it's yeah, got a right? legacy. It's oh, got wow. a legacy a great point. as a muscle car, but wow. Yeah. Uh, I will I will say that if you're disappointed in hearing that the Dodge uh, Dodge is discontinuing the Challenger and the Charger, they have not ruled out bringing them back as electric vehicles in the future, which, uh, you know, might yep. not be the same, but they'll certainly have some pick up and go. 
And uh, with, a, with that, I yeah. think we're out of time. We're out oh. of time. And, you know what that, uh, yeah, of course you yeah, are. Yeah, so, right. There's no bonus question. There's nothing up your sleeve with a bonus question. Hey, Bruce, no, I, the special <laughs> bonus question, you still have a chance, right? No. Uh, no, I, uh, I, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can, uh, yeah, we're out of time, man. That was rough. That was rough. Hey, it happens, and I'm sure we'll have you back on in the future, Bruce. And then you, when you eventually do, do defeat Brendan Kelly, it'll feel oh so sweet. It, it, it would. And uh, thank you very much. That was Ryan O'Donnell. Ryan O'Donnell coming in for Game Showy. Game Showy. Yes, sir. Yeah. And um, yeah, well. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I appreciate my opponent and his skill. I have nothing but admiration for him. Oh, I know there is absolutely no collusion there between Ryan and Brandon, of course. Um, they're not in on anything. It's always fair. Nothing is uh, fixed or scripted for entertainment value. <laughs> no. And that's the best part about it. It really is fair and honest. Thanks, guys, for, for being so fair and honest. Oh, no problem. You're yeah. welcome. This is the Shift Podcast. Welcome back to the Shift. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Shane Hewitt. This is no surprise. The grocery bills have been going way up over the last couple of years and remain high. And if you're not the shopper, talk to the shopper in your family and ask, you know, have you noticed a difference? Are things the same as they were even a year ago? You're going to get a response, and some of that response comes down to maybe finding innovative ways to feed yourself, stay healthy, and still manage that food budget. Well, where do we go from here? What do we have in store for heading into the fall and beyond? A person that follows this closely is Sylvain Charlebois. He's a researcher and professor in food distribution and food policy at Dalhousie in Halifax. He's with us right now. Professor, I have to ask, are we still seeing a bit of a challenge when it comes to prices? And food prices are going up. That's true. However, I actually do feel that uh, the things are getting are improving. Uh, the uh, food inflation rate in Canada actually is has flatlined since April. Uh, people may not have noticed, but uh, but 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 the food food prices aren't increasing as as quickly as they used to, which is really good news. And uh, so, for example, uh, from from June to July, uh, the food inflation rate actually dropped, which is. Uh, which is certainly a good sign because it will give the food industry some breathing room to to plan uh, to set up aggressive uh, promotional strategies uh, to set up loss leading strategies and things like that and things are that we haven't really seen a whole lot since the start of the pandemic back in March of 2020. What do you think is behind that? Uh, I this is the first I'm really hearing, and this is good news. But uh, what do you think is the? uh, Is it a correction in the prices? They can only go so so high before they have to flatline or go down. Yeah, I'm a half. uh, I'm a glass half full kind of person, I guess, right now because for months, uh, of course, we've been telling uh, bad news to Canadians. 
But back in December 2021, we did forecast a, a food inflation rate of 7%, uh, pointing at bakery and dairy as uh, categories that would basically push prices higher. That's really what's happening right now. And uh, But the, the food inflation rate is at actually 9.2%, but we're actually slow, we're slowly seeing the rate dropping, and we're likely to end at around 7% by, 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 by the holidays. And that's why I think it's important to recognize that things are not as complicated as they used to uh, for a few reasons. One, pandemic protocols are much more predictable. Uh, logistically, it, it makes things much easier for companies to move things around, whether it's on water or on land. And uh, it's less costly, too. And that's, put, that's putting less pressure on, on grocers to charge more. Uh, the other thing, of course, is, uh, is Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine kind of triggered a new inflationary cycle. But that cycle is, uh, is, is, uh, has ended already. And so basically what we're seeing now are lower commodity prices, uh, prices that are much more affordable than just a few months ago. The peak was actually on May 17th this year. Since, um, since May 17th, prices have been dropping, putting less pressure on the entire food system. We know so that we that are, almost coincided with uh, the agreement between Russia and some of the Western nations that they would uh, free up some of the shipments, especially when it came to grains. Is that playing a factor in that? A little. It's reassuring uh, world markets for sure, but we only we all, we've only seen uh, a handful of, of vessels leaving uh, Ukrainian ports. Uh, to actually uh, make a difference, we would need to see at least seven hundred vessels uh, leaving Ukrainian ports by the end of the month. Uh, we're not going to reach that point, at least. But at least there are some grains moving, and I, and that's I think that's why investors and uh, and and traders feel more optimistic about the issue now. When we look at the northern hemisphere and coming up, North America is actually in good shape. We've 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 gotten a lot of moisture, much more so than last year. Harvest should be very good. Uh, the problem is Europe, of course. Uh, Europe is very dry. We're not expecting a good harvest coming from 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 Europe, unfortunately. Uh, so, again. Regardless how you see it, there is going to be a deficit in terms of, of grain access, uh, and uh, parts of the world will be impacted by that, mainly Northeast Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Europe, uh, but not North America. We'll, we'll be spared, but of course, there'll be famine in different parts of the world for sure. What about uh, the other staples when it comes to Canadian grocery store prices? Uh, you mentioned that we've actually seen a bit of a stability or things flattening out since April. Uh, do you expect that to continue? And if so, why? Well, it's because of, uh, of uh, I mean, what we've experienced so far in 2022 and, uh, and, and perhaps uh, since, to it, since March of 2020, uh, 
have been unprecedented, a pandemic and uh, and uh, the the invasion. I mean, those are things that we rarely see, and and, and those events have been have been, they've been disruptive, and so now going in ending the year we're not expecting anything unusual uh i'm of course we're hoping for the best but we're not expecting anything unusual at this point there's no major election there's not a coup coming we're not expecting major embargoes uh there's not a whole lot of uncertainty so things are are looking up uh to end the year and that's why we're actually we're expecting the year 2022 to end on a much more, I would say, calm note than uh, than in than what, how it began, how the year began. I remember in the news cycle, even before the invasion, one of the big things when it came to North America was this talk about the supply chain being so messed up. Uh, have we found solutions, or is that still kind of a challenge? What 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 is helping, to be honest, uh, are are predictable COVID protocols. So uh, I'm I, we're, we're not we're not done with COVID uh, as a planet, uh, but uh, COVID much more predictable. What really hurt the food industry over the last few years is the fact that governments were making changes every week, and uh, and those changes were unpredictable. Uh, I, I I do believe that most people underappreciate how uh, complicated things were for the food industry when they saw uh, lockdowns being implemented, shutting down uh, food service, for example. That's a hundred billion dollar business in Canada, and so you can't really just shut down a huge sector like that and not expect any sort of implications. The other issue, of course, is Inflation. Uh, many governments are actually poured in a lot of money into into the economy. Uh, mo- most people agree that uh, our, our 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 global demand for anything uh, was on steroids for a very long time. Still is, and uh, people are traveling. People have cash, and that really has pushed prices higher. That is going to come to an end. Uh, the Bank of Canada and other central banks are rising, raising rates for, for that particular reason. And that's going to actually start uh, having an effect on, on, on the global economy very soon. Uh, we're starting to see signs that it's actually having an impact, but we're actually going to see more uh, of an influence uh, probably at the end of this year, early 2023. You were talking about this 7 or 9% and uh, almost as a good thing for uh, the uh, inflation rate when it comes to uh, grocery items. Uh, to me, that still is uh, dramatically higher than most people's uh, wages. Um, what are we accepting and what is realistic, do you think, in terms of an increase in grocery prices? It's high, absolutely. I think you're right. Uh, high, and uh, well, we are seeing a lot of people being left behind. Uh, the most important thing, I, I believe, is is the fact that things are under control, and, and that's the first first step. Uh, the second step, of course, is to bring down rates. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, it's going to start happening at the end of this year, and we're going to we're going to continue to see the food inflation rate rate fall. 
uh, in 2023, but it's going to take a while. We're not out. We're not out of the woods yet. If you if you are to consider the 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 the, the current cycle uh, as as a as a hockey game, for example, we're probably in the middle of the second period here. So we still have a long way to go, but we're not in the first period, and uh, we're we're marching our way through a very difficult. Uh, period right now and so but still we we need to think about uh, families and consumers that are really struggling and 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 grocers know that so there's been some conversions of stores into discount stores Mm -hmm. Uh, more grocers are actually pushing uh, private labels uh, private label products that are particularly cheaper for consumers so you can see that the industry is adapting we're talking with uh, Professor Sylvain Charlebois, researcher and professor in food distribution and food policy at Dalhousie University in Halifax. Professor, when it comes to um, talking about some of the particular items, which ones would you see that uh, may have a biggest decline and which ones are still going to remain high uh, when we're talking about our very basic food staples? Uh, for biggest declines, I don't know. Uh, I, I certainly would see uh, both fruits and vegetables uh, as being categories that we we uh, we we could see major drops there. Uh, there are two categories where we're seeing some. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, and that would be bakery and dairy. Uh, bakery because of uh, of uh, commodity scarcity, essentially. And for dairy, it's, it's regulatory. Uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. we have supply management, and the Canadian Dairy Commission has decided to increase uh, uh, farm gate milk prices uh, at a record pace. Uh, obviously, that's going to put pressure on processors and, and retailers. So, so for dairy, uh, when you look at the CPI report today, I mean, butter is actually up 24% year wow. to year. So uh, yogurt, cheese, all the same thing, and we're actually looking at another increase in September uh, when when kids go back to school. So dairy is is in trouble. I mean, it, a lot. We are expecting a lot of, of 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 consumers to walk away from the dairy sector section of the grocery store and look for dairy alternatives because dairy alternatives are actually cheaper now. And so that's the danger of what's going on with with supply management in our quarter regime in Canada is that dairy is actually pricing itself out, out of the market. Supply management, of course, uh, being one of these uh, terms that uh, we use in the industry, but uh, many of us know as marketing boards. Um, yeah. But uh, when it comes to uh, things like meat, I know that there was uh, talk of chicken coming down in price. But still, what I'm seeing, and I do some shopping for things like beef and my steak, boy, those are still sky high. Um, They are. What's happening there? Well, when you look at the meat trifecta, which would include beef, uh, chicken, and pork, uh, if if you look very closely, pork and chicken are actually cheaper um since december than uh than than beef i mean those two components are really cheaper beef is still a problem beef is still pretty expensive but certainly quote unquote powder should go back i i suspect they'll be surprised i actually been back and bought some chicken wings and 
different products uh, at a reasonable price over the last uh, few months. And those may actually uh, correct themselves, I would imagine. When we take a look at the entire country, is there one area that we should look at that uh, may be more expensive than the rest, may have more of a challenge, or is it basically the same sort of rates of uh, food inflation right across the country? So when you look at food inflation in general, actually the West is appears to be uh, spared. Uh, so from Saskatchewan to BC, where you are, uh, the food inflation rate is not as high as the East. Uh, where I am, uh, the food inflation rate is actually above 10% steady uh, between New Brunswick, uh, Nova Scotia, uh, PI, and Newfoundland. And, uh, and the reason why uh, that is is, is, is because those, that, those provinces, those markets are really difficult to service, whereas in in the prairies, it's actually part of a corridor of of a logistical corridor. So you actually, if as as you go through the prairies, you're you're trying to end up somewhere. In the Atlantic, you got to go to the Atlantic, and that's so it. There's no way. There's no there's no destination beyond the Atlantic. So that's the main difference. And when it comes to food inflation, the Atlantic tends to really be hit harder because. Of the fact that there's there's still no processing going on in our region, and uh, there's no localization of food systems uh, in the Atlantic as we would see, for example, in BC or in Alberta. Many of our listeners are in Toronto, Hamilton, London, that area. What could they expect? Oh, well, actually, it's pretty. I mean, that, that area is very very strong uh, from in, in agri food. I mean. Frankly, London in recent years have seen massive investments in agri-food, and there's more steadiness in that in our area. Uh, there's a lot of, as you probably know, there's lots of greenhouses, and so food autonomy has been a priority in southern Ontario for a very, very long time. And uh, and I, I just wish that other parts of the same, but unfortunately, it hasn't been so. You know, last week there was an article in a, uh, a national uh, media article, and uh, the headline is, Is Buying Groceries Still the Cheapest Meal Plan? And it was taking a look at uh, recent inflation, and I know things are changing now from what you've said, but uh, some people finding out that uh, possibly uh, ordering out and um, and maybe ordering in is actually cheaper than going to the grocery store. Uh, is that something you would actually buy into, or is there actually a bit of a change or narrowing of the gap? There's there, there's been more fragmentation in the, in the market, I think, over the last few years. Uh, so first of all, the food industry has, uh, or the food market has actually gone more virtual, for sure. I mean, there's been more uh, sales online uh, than before. People are buying uh, meal kits, uh, counter-ready um, uh, products. Uh, of course, they're using food service apps uh, like Skip and Uber Eats and things like that. Um, so consumers are more inclined to buy food online. And, and, and before the pandemic, a lot of grocers, uh, even restaurant operators, just just defied, defied that notion. They just didn't believe it. But it did happen, and it is happening. And, 
and now we're into August of 2022, and numbers show that people are have, ado- have adopted new 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 habits. They do buy food more often online, and so that's one big thing that is happening right now, uh, and and that is pushing grocers to think differently about the market overall. So grocers are actually competing with. Uh with the food apps and uh, the ordering of the meal kits. Um, that's real competition for them. Oh, absolutely. So the way that grocers and even restaurant operators define what competition is has changed dramatically in the last three years. And so uh, there's more conversions. There's more, I mean, there, there, are, there are no lines between different industries. Now, they were before the pandemic. Uh, we we were talking about a blurring line between service and retail, but uh, now there's a blurring line between service, retail, meal kits, uh, pre-cooked, post-cooked. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of different options. And, and frankly, I actually think that the pandemic really got rid of many rules uh, that were embedded in 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 the food industry. So that, that will bring a lot of opportunities, but of course, uh, at the same time, it brings more competition. The thing I've wondered about for a single person, is there less of a price gap uh, or a budget gap when you start to use things like, um, uh, well, the uh, the delivery apps? Uh, I know that uh, families can go and do a big Costco buy or something like this, but uh, an individual it gets somewhat more limited, and when it comes to uh, ordering out is it cheaper sometimes? Not really, because you have fees, and uh, and of course you have uh, you have tips to cover. So it's 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 a bit different, and so you have to cover some of that uh, some of that that you wouldn't normally do have to cover when you go retail. Uh, so those are extra fees that you have to count. It's very rare that you you're able to save money online uh, when you order food online, except. For non-perishables, and if you order, say, through uh, Amazon, for example, uh, if you're a Prime member, and and they cover all delivery charges and things like that, but for perishables and things like that, it's very rare you can actually find some really good deals. I guess it's more uh, lifestyle, and uh, when it comes to your own transportation to a grocery store or timing around their hours, it may be easier just to uh, hop on your uh, phone or uh, deal with the app. Exactly. So things have changed. Things have changed indeed. Anything that we should look forward to in uh, the year ahead? Uh, any trend that you're seeing that uh, might be a, aha, uh-huh, here's something to watch? Well, I mean, uh, I, we're always on the lookout for new consumer trends and uh, and how uh, how the industry is structured and and opportunities. And uh, and frankly, uh, there's, there's a lot of things happening but uh, I think what really is going on right now is, uh, is, is that we, we're seeing a food industry trying to figure out how the post-COVID market is actually going to look like with a lot of people actually going to be working from home. We'll keep uh, some eyes on that. I, 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 yeah, I've been to downtowns uh, across the country in, 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 in recent months, and a lot of downtowns are empty. So that's something that the food industry will have to figure it out. We'll have to figure out. This is the Shift Podcast. 
And thank you for being with us. I'm Bruce Claggett in for Shane Hewitt on The Shift. I am along with Ryan O'Donnell and Brendan Kelly. And of course you, the loyal Shifthead listeners, who I must say I have been leaning on a little bit for some advice when it comes to my cat and my dog. I've talked a little bit about them over the last few nights, but uh, for a refresher... Van Gogh is a nine-year-old house cat who has been with us ever since, well, a year into his life. Came as a rescue cat. Uh, not the brightest cat in the world. Very, very handsome. Very much aware of how handsome he is. Got a very strong personality. Does not like other animals. We know that. Uh, and enter our newest member, the Labradoodle Puppy of Love, Sketch. Now, Sketch is fantastic. Sketch was born over the Easter long weekend and came into our home at about the three-month mark and came into the home that is already run by Van Gogh. So there you have it. The two of them are not not getting along. They have their moments. They have uh, some interactions, which I would describe as less than positive. But I would like to get them to the point where, and this is just me hoping for the best, They are the best of friends and absolute buddies. And uh, that is the ultimate dream. Is it realistic? I don't know. But tonight, to help with that dream, I've got Zazie Todd, PhD, animal psychologist, companion animal psychology, and the Positive Post. That's P-A-W, Positive Post. And she's with us tonight and going to run through some of my trials and tribulations as I talk about both Van Gogh and Sketch, and my hope is that you'll pick up some advice yourselves and uh, we can all share uh, a perfect world where cats and dogs get along. Well, Zazie, uh, thanks so much for being with us. And my very first question is one where I want complete candor. Am I being naive in my ultimate hope that there will be a day, Zazie, there will be a day where the cat and the dog will snuggle together. (laughs) Not at all. I mean, one thing that you've done absolutely right is that we know that dogs and cats are more likely to get along if the cat is the first one who joins the home and the dog comes along later as a puppy. So that's really in your favor, and that's very promising. But I would say um, it's not really necessary from their perspective that they love each other so much that they cuddle. And really, so long as they get on with each other, like each other, are not a threat to each other, it maybe doesn't matter so much if they cuddle, even though that's what we love to see. And some of the research on how dogs and cats get along show that only 10% of them end up actually cuddling together. So that's perhaps a longer hope, but but it's it's certainly potentially achievable. I guess that's what you call resetting uh, your... um your outlook there. Uh, But uh, it's something for me to note. And I must say that they're getting along a little bit better with understanding each other than they were at the very beginning. Um, But uh, I know that cats and dogs actually speak kind of a different language, don't they? Uh, When the dog wants to, or first sees a cat, he's all about love and just wants to play. And the cat doesn't see it that way and um and the dog doesn't pick up on the cat not seeing it that way is that typical when you have a cat and dog i think for the cat safety is really important 
And we know that if the cat is comfortable with the dog, then that's one of the most important things about making the relationship go well. And the reason for that, if you think about it, some dogs actually are not safe to be around cats because some dogs think of cats as food. And so cats have to be quite cautious. Um, but there's a lot that we can do to set the environment up to help make the cat feel more safe and secure, and that really helps goes a long way towards it. But just to give you one example of the different body language that you mentioned, we know that dogs will often go to sniff each other's butts, and mm-hmm. cats don't necessarily like that. But when dogs live in a home with a cat, they often learn to greet the cat by sniffing their nose, which is actually a feline greeting. Cats will greet other cats that they get, that they get on with by sniffing their nose. And so with your puppy being in, in the home, and you can tell me if you've seen this already, but certainly at some point I think your puppy is going to learn that the best way to greet the cat um, is by sniffing their nose rather than going straight for their butt to sniff their butt. Yes. In fact, we have got past that. And that was uh, almost like in the first week the puppy learned that. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, as yeah. A, a very smart puppy. Um, but uh, he always is face-to-face now, always, uh, any interaction. Now, what will typically happen is uh, the cat will be up higher. The dog is down low, but the cat is up on always, almost always up on something. So the dog will come around the corner, see the cat, and uh, like everything the dog sees that's living, it has to be a greeting. So it's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy. It's been so long since we've seen each other. And, uh, and just... You know, is you can see the tail wagging and everything is great. The cat doesn't hiss or anything, but gives a meow, just kind of like an acknowledgement. I'm not really happy to see you, but is just kind of there. The puppy immediately gets down on all fours like it's ready to play. And that's usually where the cat gets a little bit more defensive. Typical? Well, because puppies are very, very playful and very bouncy typically, and that can be a bit much for a cat, but especially for a somewhat older cat as well. Um, just in the same way that it could be a bit, a bit much for some people or a bit much for some dogs as well. So puppies, you know, they can sometimes be a bit much because they're so excited and so playful, but it's wonderful that your cat has these places that are high up, and that's one of the things that's so important in a cat and dog household because cats really like to be high up and have space to survey the room but they also like to be high up and away from things because a cat's response to stress is and hide rather than to try and fight um, because cats are prey animals as well as predators you know if they were outside they would have coyotes and so on to worry about so if something stressful happens their first response is to want to run and hide and a high up space where the cat can be safe and away from the puppy is perfect for them and that will really help them to feel much more comfortable in the puppy's presence and then they have the choice of whether or not they want to come down and interact with this very excited wonderful friendly thing (laughs) right and one of the first things we did was uh well two things two steps we took and they seem to be working well uh we first of all in the upstairs uh, floor we put in cat doors um into our door so the cat actually can fit through it the dog can't um, so there is a room, our, our bedroom is uh, cat-friendly, um, and uh, my office is also cat-friendly. 
My office also happens to be, yes, where the litter box is. But those uh, doors now are constantly closed and the cat is free to go in and out and learn this in and out business beforehand. The second thing we did was we actually um, put the cat's food up higher. Uh, It used to be on the floor, but we moved it to a space that's all about the cat. Those things tend to work that I've seen. Is that typical? What other steps can people take to start uh, maybe making a environment that's going to work for a new puppy coming into a home? Well, first of all, those steps are absolutely perfect. This is kind of music to my ears, basically, because the cat has spaces, where rooms, whole rooms where they can go, um, and they don't have to be with the puppy if they don't want to. And also, the cat cares about where their resources are, and they don't like to have any conflict around their resources. So their resources include where the food is, where the litter box is. So having those in separate rooms is wonderful. Um, So that's brilliant. And also having the food high up is really great. The only thing I would caution is just in case, um, sometimes with a senior cat, you can get a bit of arthritis or something and may need a little bit of help to be able to get to those high up spaces. Um, So that's something just to bear in mind as your cat gets older. But it's brilliant that they don't have to compete with the puppy at all for food. So that's really good. Another thing to bear in mind is thinking about your attention and the Mm. attention of other people in the household and making sure that the cat still gets plenty of attention from you all. And cats tend to prefer interactions with people to be very consistent and predictable. And they also like them to be quite short, really, but frequent whereas we tend to want to go and pick the cat up and have a big, you know, cuddle with them or make a big fuss of them, and then we think we're done for the day, whereas the cat would prefer it to be much shorter but to happen much more often. Well, is that And some... puppies? Yeah, this Sorry, brings pup- me to uh, the other point that I was going to mention before we get into what puppies are like. Um, my cat is actually, has taken a shining to uh, my wife, and follows the wife everywhere. It's all about my wife, all about my wife, uh, to the point where she works from home. My cat is known to be in on every Zoom meeting. will sit down there and gets upset if a Zoom meeting is missed at 8.45 in the morning. Uh, that's how <laughs> dedicated. It's almost like, oh, it's my wife's special helper that's always in there, or uh, my wife's executive assistant that's always in there. That's the cat. Um, so yeah, it's funny you should mention that. I just wanted to interject with that. Yeah, that's so sweet. And so, so long as the cat is still able to be in on those important Zoom meetings, um, I think that obviously is something that matters to the cat is being with your wife. So making sure that the puppy doesn't prevent that from still happening um, will help to keep your cat happy because puppies are quite a lot of work and they're wonderful and they're lovely and your puppy is obviously completely adorable and friendly mm-hmm. but they are still a lot of work they do take a lot of your time and so when you have an older cat especially they're used to their routine and they like their routine to continue including their routine for affection with you guys and it's just come back to the point where it's continuing now uninterrupted where the cat is back to his regular spot regular um, right to the left of my wife looking at the Zoom, got a little pad that goes on. Uh, and at the end of the Zoom meeting, always uh, appreciates the cat treats that uh, the cat gets for having a participate in the Zoom meeting without a problem. Um, so <laughs> this, is, uh, this is now continuing. 
The interesting thing is our puppy, Sketch. By the way, the cat is Van Gogh, the dog is Sketch. Sketch Labradoodle, right? Doodle, Sketch. Wonderful. (laughs) Uh, uh, Sketch has taken to liking to go behind my wife, uh, a few paces behind, and will actually lie down during that uh, Zoom meeting in the morning. And I think that's incredible. So we're giving ourselves credit for moving back into a world where that one would work. Um, Where I'm a little concerned is, uh, of course, we got the cat during, um, or the we got the dog during the summer break. I do have a 12-year-old son. He's been responsible for taking the dog out every half hour or whatever to do his business. He's going back to school. Is the whole dynamic in the family going to change when he goes back to school on Labor Day? Well, there's obviously going to be some change in the dynamic, and probably the pets will, will miss him. Uh, during the daytime, but as far as the house training goes, I mean the puppy must be able to go for a bit longer by now, and yes, you know yes. by the yeah, and so that won't be happening quite as often. So hopefully one of you will be able to take over the house training part of it. Um, I think it's brilliant that that's all been done. That's fantastic, and it really sounds like you've got a lot of things set up in your house, just perfect for both of these animals. So, I mean, it will change things because they will they they notice differences. They notice when their favorite people go out, for example. But the other parts of the routine, if they can stay the same, then that really helps a lot because it helps provide consistency and so on. What can we expect? And uh, I think some of our listeners are going to appreciate this if they're also with a puppy. Um, in the next year, as the puppy grows up and gets into full size and becomes a regular adult dog, is it going to change in terms of how the cat and the dog get along? Uh, do you see that? If anything, it probably will make it a bit easier and, and they will probably start getting on a bit better because the puppy will be a bit less bouncy as they get older, um, even if they go through a teenage phase perhaps on their way there. Um, but one thing we know about puppies is that they have a sensitive period for socialization between 3 and about 12 to 14 weeks. And that includes the time at the breeder, but also those first weeks when they're with you. And if they have lots of positive experiences during that time, then it really helps them to grow up to be friendly, confident adult dogs. And so it's wonderful that your puppy has had all of these experiences with the cat and that will help them to be good with not just this cat, but any future cats that they happen to meet. Um, So that's really fantastic. And that's, again, that's one of the important things for predicting how well a dog and a cat will get along is whether they've had any experience with the other species while they were young. Um, so I think that's really promising and uh, puppies tend to be a lot and then as they get a bit more mature they will calm down and that tends to make them a bit easier for the cat because there's less bounciness and so on and maybe I mean it sounds like things are going so well maybe you will get them cuddling together after all. (laughs) Zazie uh, thank you so much Uh, if anyone wants more information you do have a website don't you? I do. People can find me at companionanimalpsychology.com. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.